0: All right, let's start uh, this morning in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I think that's where we're going to begin. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures this morning. But um, Luke chapter 2, as we all know, this is the beginning of the fourth week of Advent. It's also Christmas Eve. Tomorrow is Christmas. So, and, and obviously... We have started following the historical liturgical calendar and the lectionary. So we're going to be obviously focused primarily on the lectionary readings for today during this hour. But I want to start not with a lectionary reading. I want to start with Luke chapter 2, which is very close to it, uh, because obviously you'll see the connection. And I think this is the right way to start today. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of... David, so let's read that verse again, Luke chapter 2, verse 2, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, that's a very important verse, not only you'll see how it plays in with the lectionary reading, but when I was thinking about this this morning, I, I didn't, I, my original idea wasn't to go in this direction, but I was just reading Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And when I read Luke chapter 2 and saw Bethlehem mentioned, I couldn't help myself but to think about what Bethlehem was then and what is happening in Bethlehem today. Because if you've seen pictures of what's going on in Bethlehem today, it's kind of depressing. It's kind of sad. Here is a news report that just came out this morning talking about Bethlehem today. Church bells echo throughout the labyrinth like streets of Bethlehem. With Christmas approaching, the city in the Israeli occupied West Bank should be teeming with visitors, but this year it is almost completely deserted. Local leaders made the decision last month to scale back festivities and solidarity with the Palestinian population as heavy fighting raged between Israel and Hamas and the devastated Gaza Strip. More than 20,000 Palestinians have been killed during Israeli's air air and ground offensive, according to the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health in Gaza, and nearly 85% of the Strip's total population has been displaced. The war was sparked by Hamas terror attacks on October the 7th on southern Israel in which at least 1200 people were killed and more than 250 others were taken hostage. Many have ties to Gaza through loved ones and friends and a sense of misery has fallen upon the city revered by Christians as the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Decorations that once adorned neighborhoods have been removed, the parades and religious celebrations have been canceled, Uh, In the city center, the traditional enormous Christmas tree of Manger Square, is absent. Traveling into Bethlehem, about eight kilometers south of Jerusalem, is an ordinary and easy journey. The Israeli-built West Bank barrier restricts movements, as do the various checkpoints leading in and out of the city. It only got worse since the Hamas brazen attack. Even the Church of the Nativity which became the first world heritage site in the Palestinian territories in 2012, is largely empty. In a normal year, queues of hundreds would snake around the car park outside with pilgrims patiently waiting to enter its grotto, considered since the second century to be the exact location of Christ's birth. A 14-point silver star set in the marble floor marks the precise spot where Jesus is said to have been born. In the 4th century, Emperor Constantine founded a church on the site, which was destroyed in the year 529, only to be replaced by a larger structure, which forms the basis of the church today. Inside, which typically would be standing room only, because of this this year, however, you can basically hear a pin drop. It's completely empty. It's just completely abandoned. And then it, they, they ended the news article with this. Christmas is joy, love, and peace. We have no peace. We have no joy. It is out of our hands, and we pray for the leaders who will make the decisions uh, over the world, uh, to God uh, all, uh, decisions all over the world. To God, help them. Give them His light to make peace here and all over. The world. But I like that phrase again. Christmas is joy, love, and peace. We have no peace. We have no joy. And that's how the article ends, describing the situation in Bethlehem today. In Bethlehem today, it's empty. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no decorations, there's no celebration, there is nothing. And when you look at that, you can you can say, Well, that's sad. You can shrug your shoulders and say it doesn't care. But to me, it kind of symbolizes a bigger picture that deals not just with Christmas. But with so much, because we know in the first Christmas, right, quote unquote, the first Christmas, I know it wasn't called Christmas, but at, at, during the birth of Christ, most people did not even know what was going on. In fact, the only reason they were there was because of taxes, right? They were there to pay taxes, right? It wasn't some big celebration. But yet, in spite of the fact that it would have been missed, in fact, it, as it would have been seen somewhat insignificant, maybe people would have walked by and seemed, had pity for them, right? because there was no room for them in the end, maybe they would have had some pity for them, but there would have been nothing grand about it, nothing big about it, nothing, n- nothing at all, right? In fact, you may have just like, oh, what's going on over there? Well, that's sad, okay, and just moved on, right? Well, those poor people, right? I wonder how they ended up in such a negative situation, right? You could have possibly just completely overlooked it. So I think when, we, when I was reading this story about what's going on in Bethlehem and it's empty, and again, just that last paragraph, Christmas is joy, love, and peace, and we have no peace, and we have no joy. I'm like, well, that's, that's depressing. But then, I, after reading the article, I just typed out the, these words. A life of faith isn't lived out in a perfect world. It's lived out in the midst of brokenness, pain, sin, failure, hurt, and all the tribulations of life. Like, I think we sometimes think the life of faith is because we have faith, then there's going to be love, joy, peace, happiness, and everything's going to be great. There's going to be party celebrations, unicorns, rainbows, Skittles, everything's going to be wonderful. But it doesn't work that way. The life of faith is actually lived out in the midst of all of that, which seems contradictory, right? Because you think, well, if I have, I'm living a life of faith, then the life of faith should make all of these other things... Better, should make it all perfect, but it doesn't always work out that way. In fact, the Christmas story kind of captures that. And I think maybe this year, sadly to say, because Bethlehem is completely empty, you can say, well, then what's the point? Right? I mean, because some people could say, well, if Christ was born there, what's the point if it doesn't make everything better, if it doesn't make everything wonderful? What's the point? And so I can understand that frustration. I can understand that struggle. But I think it really challenges us to consider what the life of faith looks like and how we are to do so. So kind of with that framework in mind, right? With what's happening in Bethlehem. In real time, as we sit here, the place is empty, right? And as many are mourning and grieving because they've lost so many, you know, at the Palestinian-controlled area. Their loved ones live where? Most likely in the Gaza Strip. And what's happening there? Well, people are dying, right? So it's not, a, it's not like a, a wonderful time. Somehow in the midst of all of that, well, I want us then to consider what the lectionary provides for us today, which is a couple of readings. And I want us to consider those readings in light of kind of this reality. You have a life of faith and then you have life. And it's not so good. And And we know that even if we don't live our lives and the situation going on in the Middle East, people's lives are still filled with what? Brokenness and sadness and confusion. And sometimes their things are good and sometimes things are bad. And look, that's true outside the church. That's true inside the church. That's true inside the church. In fact, I received an email uh, late last night uh, from someone who listens to the podcast and they were describing that their church just went through a church split. And that church split has now split his own home. Some of the family went with the church split. He didn't go with the church split. So now he's going to church by himself. Now you will hope that a life of faith would do what? That that wouldn't be the case. But the life of faith is lived in the midst of that, right? There's pain, there's suffering, there's family problems, there's church split, there's all of those things. And that's not the way we want it to be. So on this Christmas Eve, with the mindset, I want you to just imagine Bethlehem now. I mean, even in, in the church of the nativity, you can hear a pen drop, as the article said. It's empty, right? And then there's mourning and weeping, because of what's happening over in the Gaza Strip. In the midst of all... And then if we can take what's going on in the Gaza Strip, we can also consider what's going on in the Ukraine. As Russia has invaded and so many people have died. We can talk about what's going on wherever. Whether it's your personal life, or it's things happening on a global scale. What? We come to church, we can sing some Christmas songs. Right? We can say, you know, Merry Christmas. And, you know, exchange gifts, whatever. But does... I think it always leads to the question: How do we understand faith in the light of all those other things? Because we want to think that faith will make all those other things better. So let's consider what the lectionary has to say today. The first reading, the Old Testament reading, is in Second Samuel. So if you want to go there, we're just gonna we're just gonna read through these, and you can you can tell me what you think. All right, Second Samuel. Instead of approaching this more in like a preaching way, we're going to approach it more of, well, the way I always approach it, much more just walking through the text. And I know, no three points. <laughs> okay. No three points. No clear outline. 2 Samuel chapter 7. In fact, to me, if you take a horrible story like the situation and the world, right, and you just try to present it and try to speak to it with three nice little put-together points in a sermon, to me it's disingenuous and it really is not very nice to the people suffering because it can't be addressed in three little things, right? It can't be. So let's, let's look at this and see what we find. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Everybody there? All right, here we go. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house... And the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies that the king said unto Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And It came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, uh, shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Um, and we'll we'll just, I'm just going to continue reading right through. They skip around, but I'm just going to read right through so we can get the basic story. Uh, Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And in all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I whom I commanded to feed, uh, to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not a house of cedar? So it's kind of interesting. We see a basic concept. David looks at the situation going, I should build a, a permanent place for the ark, right? And then Nathan is like, do what? Go do whatever's in your heart. And then God's like, whoa, why, why are you gonna do this? And he's basically saying, what? Have I ever asked for it? Have I ever asked for it? Okay, now we, we could, I could preach a sermon just right there, right? You can preach a sermon right there. Meaning, sometimes what is in our heart may not be what God necessarily wants. Okay, but let's see what happens. Uh, verse 8. Now, therefore, so shall thou say unto my servant David. Oh, it sound good. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I'm just saying that immediately God's kind of like, why are you, you going to do this? So now, a message is to go to David, which says what? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, As before time. You may want to look at that verse really carefully. Seems like a big promise, isn't it? A really big promise. Okay? Israel's going to be where? Their own place, their own land. And people are not going to afflict them anymore. I just read an article about Israel being a a terrorist attack where 1,200 people died. Right? So, you see where... We're reading scripture, a life of faith, but then we have this reality, and sometimes what the two doesn't seem to what that don't seem to, to to work so well, right? All right, but what happens here? So I'm going to appoint my people, uh, Israel. I'm going to plant them, right? And uh, verse eleven, and as since that time, and since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people to Israel, and have caused have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. All right, so God is going to make a house. Please note, who's going to do the making of the house? God, right? Not not necessarily you, David, but God is going to make thee. And what is he going to do? Verse 12, this is the the key. 12 to 16 is, is really key here. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, we shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Oh, no, wait a minute. Okay, wait, what's going on here? Now, immediately, we may immediately think, obviously someone coming from David is going to have a kingdom that's going to last Forever. Now immediately we may want to think, well, that's got to be Solomon, right? But Solomon comes and what happens, to his, what happens to the kingdom, period? It splits, right? It completely splits. And then the northern kingdom goes bye-bye to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom goes into Babylonian captivity. They do come back, only then later on to be under the control of Rome. And then 70 AD, they really go bye-bye. And there's not a kingdom now, is there? Barely, I mean, you can call it a nation now, but they, it's nothing like this. So once again, we have this, we have what? These words that seem to go, well, where, how does that live out in, in, in the real world, all right? Uh, verse 14, uh, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him and with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house... That would be the house of David, right, and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. Now we read those words, and well at least what's your thoughts? Well wait where what's going on? We just read. We started this with a news article about the situation even in Bethlehem, right? We know the situation in Israel. Is it, does it sound anything like that in any way, shape, or form? It does not. In fact, and from this point here and Samuel, from 2 Samuel moving forward, does it ever look like that? Even if you say temporarily, it's, it's temporarily, right? Because Solomon's going to come along. Things are going to look really good for a while, right? And then he descends, disintegrates into nothing, but I mean, you know what, you know, a thousand women, he's, a, he's an idolater, that all falls apart, then after him, then the kingdom splits, then you have the north and the south, you have captivity, idolatry, sin, destruction, then they're under the control of Rome, and then 70 AD happens. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they lost all the genealogical, ra- I mean, we could just talk everything that happened. Okay, right, yeah, except the ones we have in Scripture. Uh, Other than that, like everything is kind of like, well, well, where's the forever, 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 forever part, all right? Now, the New Testament reading is Romans, or the epistle reading, I should say, is Romans. Romans chapter 16. Now, I can't expound all every passage, obviously, but Romans chapter 16. And they just want us to read 25 to 27, All right? Everybody there? Romans chapter 16. Did I say Romans 7? Okay, I'll pull it. Okay, Romans 16, 25 through 27. Here we go. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That's kind of, that's the reading. That's kind of a, what do we do with that? That would be one that we'd probably just read really quick and do what? Just move on. I could take it apart and we could preach an entire sermon on it. But why do you think it's here? We just said that we read the Samuel passage, right? And we saw the second Samuel passage and that was all about what? God making a promise to David about what? And a king, a kingdom, a throne, eternal. These, these great promises, what, what do we have here? What, why do you think this is mentioned? Why do you think this is in the lectionary next? That's the beauty of the lectionary is to struggle putting all the readings together. Sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't. Do you see anything here that would jump out at you going, oh, I see what they're doing? Well, okay, let me try to help you here. We have the preaching of whom? Jesus Christ, okay? Now, this is not emphatically connecting it to Samuel, right? Emphatically, but I think we've already established that whatever is being promised to David didn't, was not fulfilled in Solomon, correct? Right? We started our reading in Luke chapter two about someone being born in Bethlehem, the house of David, okay? And that person who was born there, we didn't read the whole text, is whom? Jesus Christ. So this talks about Jesus Christ, right? Please note, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. There was a time that people would not have understood Jesus Christ. They wouldn't have understood exactly who, everything about him. And there was the next verse. But now is made... Manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations. It's now being made known. Somehow Jesus Christ is being made, know- made being made known. It was a mystery. Now it's being made known through the proclamation, through the preaching. Right. So somehow they're connecting. Maybe just it may not be explicit, but. Those, somehow, what was said in 2 Samuel, which I don't know if they would have understood, right? I don't know if anyone would have completely understood it. Maybe now is being made manifest. Now, the reading, the gospel reading, is Luke chapter 1. The gospel reading is Luke chapter 1. All right, now we could start in Luke chapter one, verse one, and just start reading the whole, but they want us to jump down to verse 26, all right? Uh, I I wanna read like everything in Luke, but that's okay. All right, let's at least start right here. You ready? Luke chapter one, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Okay, there's the David thing again, right? There's the David connection, all right? The house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hell, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, all right? Now, we could take that all apart. There's a lot of powerful things to be said there. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, my original sermon today was going to be on that phrase, found favor with God, and we're going to look at all the different places that phrase is used, what it means to find favor with God, how does one find favor with God, because that's an important thing, right? Yeah. But that's the that article about what's going on in Bethlehem just really got me thinking. So let's just keep reading then. I, I would love to spend more time with that, but that's okay, all right? Um, she has found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy... Womb, and will bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Right? He shall be called the son of the highest and of the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Stop right there. Okay, now, now it's all starting to come together, is it not? The first reading makes a promise that from David would come someone, a son, right? Someone, an heir, someone from David's line. And that that person in 2 Samuel is going to do What? going to reign and rule forever, right? I mean, let's make sure we got that. It's going to reign and rule forever. You can go back and look at the Second Samuel passage if you need to. Look at it. Draw the correlation here, right? Okay, that from, that, that's from David. It's a lot of years from David to Christ, is it not? It's a long time. During that time, what did you see? War. Destruction. Probably some empty cities like Bethlehem is today, right? Pain, grief, just, dis- and through it all, what do you think someone could possibly say? What, what I, what, why am I, you know, and, and look, I, it's perfectly okay to lament and it's perfectly okay to say, I don't get it. Because, I mean, for, like, what would have been better for me is why go from David all the way to the time of Christ and all that pain and suffering, just have Jesus, show up then. And, and not just show up then. How about show up then in the second coming way, not the first coming way? Right? Because there's a lot. I mean, you can see why we could ask these questions. So let's read this again. He's She's going to bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him. And please note, he's the son of the highest do you see that part? Look at this, this verse. Verse 32 is one of the like I mean, you could just spend a life in seminary studying verse 32. Do, do, what, do you, I almost want to just go full-blown Bible study exercise right here and see how good you guys are put, putting it together. Do you see some interesting things here? He shall, he shall be called the son of whom? The highest. He should be called the son of God, basically, right? However, he should be given unto him the throne of his father, David. He's the son of the most high, but he's also the son of David. What, what do those two concepts bring to mind? Deity and humanity. What do we call that theologically? Hypostatic union, right? He's, he's God, yet he's man, he, but he's from the line of David, but he yet he's the son of God. Now look what happens in the next verse and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end there's that forever part again right there's going to be there's going to be a there's going to be this wonderful idea in 2 Samuel that, that from David is going to come someone who's going to be there's, that there's going to be a kingdom, there's going to be a throne, it's going to be forever. And now here it's very specific. Who's he going to rule over? Just look at the verse. Jacob. Well, what, what's the significance about Jacob? Israel. Right? That's Israel, correct? Okay. His name was changed to he had 12 sons who becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, just make sure we, I'm going to really stress that. Okay, I'm going to over the top with that. Okay. And then said, and then I like this part, and said, Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Saying, I know not a man. She can't, she can't even wrap her mind around the other part, right? Wait, son of God, son of David, king, reign forever. And her mind, all she can see is, Wait, uh, this can't happen. I, I'm, I'm a virgin. This can't happen. How can this happen? Right. Once again, though, do you see? I, do, I'm trying to draw this correlation out. If we look at the words, and uh, if you w- look at the words in Second Samuel, you have these promises. That then you went year after year after year after year after year after year, seemingly to see what. The complete contradiction of those words, the complete opposite of those words, almost calling into question the accuracy or truthfulness of said words. Can we agree to that? Right? Then the angel shows up, says, Hey, you're going to have a baby and he's the son of God and the son of David. That's already now she, maybe in her mind, she, she, well, I don't think for her, she even heard any of that. She just heard you're going to have a, a baby, and she's like, "It once again, it doesn't make sense." Agreed. Okay. Ne- what happens next? And the angel answered and said unto her, "The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee." Now, remember Romans. What did Romans say? Well, there's a mystery, but he's, there's something. I just, right there, he talks about the power. Does the Romans talk about God's ability to establish his power? God is able, God is able to establish, right? Does it not talk about God's ability? She's, what is she questioning? How can this be? I wanna make it clear. That's, that's the whole thing. And 2 Samuel, when the promise is made, at first it would have probably looked like, okay, okay, that makes perfect sense. I'm going to have a son. It's going to work, right? But somewhere by the time Solomon's life is, by the time Solomon is drawing his last breath, by the time Solomon's life is, is slowly leaving his body, you, you could be looking around going, I don't know if this worked out so well. Solomon... Let's see. Was he an adulterer? Yeah, yeah, okay. Everyone can understand that? I mean, you have a 1,000 women and 700 of them are concubines. Right, okay, right. So he, he's an adult. Was he a polygamist? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was he an idolater? Yeah. Yes, okay. That, you, you would start thinking, this, this is not working. Can we agree? And then everything that follows after. Okay, the kingdom is split. How good are the kings on the north side? All bad, right? Okay. The south side, is the south side, south side of town, okay. That's a mixed bag as well, okay. So then that all is, is idolatry, destructions of temple, the temple craziness. So you would be like, where does it go? By the time you get to... The, the Inter Testament period, there's rebellion, there's, there's fighting, there's still more war, right? The Jews are still fighting war, right? There's some victory, but then by the time you open up your Bible to the New Testament, they, Rome has got their boot on their throat. And you're kind of like, what is going on? There, there's no one on their throne, there's no king, they still have the temple. Once again, it doesn't make any sense, right? So in a sense, Mary pictures the, it makes no sense. How can this be? And what, what is, what? how can it be? What's the exact words? The power of the highest shall overshadow thee before thee that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called thee. Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth uh, hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Do you see the, the what, what's happening here? One's a virgin. One is barren. When you have a woman who's barren, you have a woman who's virgin. What should be the end result of those two things? No children. Nothing should be birthed. Right, it should be empty but something happens why does something happen because the power of God now that is a picture of everything that's happened to the nation has there been a promise to the nation yes at that point who was on the throne Rome Israel's barren in a sense right they're empty, they're barren. So some, God is going to have to do something miraculous, right? Would you agree? Do you see the picture that's being built? And then verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now we take that and quote that about all of our, our life, our everyday life. Hey, with God, nothing should be impossible. This has a very specific historical connection. I think it's not so much about... It, it, it's about Mary. Without, is it impossible for a virgin to conceive and bear a son? Yes. Is it impossible for a woman who's completely barren, especially with no medical advances at that time, to have a child? Yes. All right. But with God, it is possible. But I don't think it's about Mary, and it's about Elizabeth. Mary and Elizabeth are, are symbols of what? Israel. They're barren. Is there, is there a king on the throne? I thought someone was supposed to come was going to rule and reign forever. It, it hasn't happened. And now here's the announcement of how it's going to occur. A son is going to be born. Who is a son of David? But happens to be beyond their even comprehension the Son of God. And why is it going to have to be the Son of God? Because it's going to require the Son of God to do what's going to need to be done. Because Israel needs more than just a king on the throne, they need someone who will take care of their sins. Please go back. We see a hint of that, even though Luke doesn't tell us. Look at Luke uh, 131. He's going to be called what? Luke 131? He's going to be called Jesus. Remember in Matthew, why they say he's going to be called Jesus? Go find it. I think it's Matthew chapter 1. Everybody go look really quick. Yeah, but look specifically at the language used. Yeah, I think it's Matthew 1. I think it's verse 21. I'm just going from memory. I'm just going from memory. Going from memory. I could be 100% wrong here. He shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins again, I know I, look I I, I I look for everyone who's listening who's reformed, calm down, take a deep breath, okay because I know you're going to get all mad at me in a minute, but okay, clearly, this is a very israel centric concept here, right? okay, I mean, there's no way to get around it you're a throne from David going to rule forever over. Jacob, I mean, come on, this is Israel centric. So when it's going to, he's going to come to save his people from their sins, it's, they're there. Now, now, it, it's going to require two things, right? He, to save his people from their sins, it's going to require someone to be able to die for their sins. So he's going to have to be human, right? Truly human. However, he can't be completely, he can't be just human because humans are. Sinful, so he's going to have to be the son of the Most High, born of a virgin. Therefore, he does not have a sinful nature. And it's going to require some kind of the power of God to do the impossible. Now, only God is the one who can forgive sins, right? So, so you, you, yeah, you, And I think Isaiah says the same concept. So you put all of that together. This is all a picture, right? It's, it's literal history, but it's a picture, two barren women are the are the symbol of as Israel is broken and barren God is going to have to overshadow them to bring about the impossible does that do, do you see it now and from that perspective and then Mary said un, and and then Mary said behold the handmaid of the Lord that was uh, uh, something I did in a podcast for people to work on. Be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. Now we could spend a lot of time looking at her submissiveness there, right? Her willingness, right? Being called the handmaid. There's a lot we could do there, but I'm looking at this bigger picture. Now, so here is what I want us to consider. All right. First, well, we'll just get we'll get the theological issue out of the way. We'll get the theological issue out of the way. I understand 1,000 percent. Well, you know what? I'm going to state it this way. Instead of trying to fix the theological problem, I'm going to present it this way. The reason we have a theological problem, to me, is key, and it goes back to how we started. I started by reading about Bethlehem today, and it is empty, and there seems to be no hope. There's no joy. There's no peace. It seems to be Contrary to anything faith would say. I will argue when you go back to 2 Samuel and you see those promises, and that's just one of many, and you look at all the promises, and you look throughout history, you, the church itself, even people of faith looked at some of them and did what? Uh, this is not going to happen. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And why, And they were really confused when 70 AD occurred because temples wiped off the face of the earth and Israel is gone. And so what was the solution by people of faith? It's barren, it's barren. There's just no way. How can it be? Israel doesn't exist. And so we came up, so Christians came up with a great solution, right? Hey, because on one hand, they argued that the Bible has to be true. So then they were like, okay, okay. He is going to rule, but he's not going to rule over Israel. He's going to rule over spiritual Israel, which is the church. They needed a solution. And you can see why they would need a solution, right? Because it looked barren. It looked impossible. How can it be? Now, what's interesting is they take this part to be literal. There's going to be a son born in Bethlehem who's going to be the son of God going to be the son of david that's all literal going to be born of a virgin that is literal going to rule over going to sit on the throne of david and rule over the house of jacob well no 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 not literal israel not a literal throne it's a spiritual throne over spiritual israel now you see where that hermeneutic becomes a little problematic but i don't blame them For doing that, I don't. Because this is the whole message that I'm trying to get across to you. When you look sometimes at life, faith says it makes no sense. So sometimes we try to come up with our solutions. We try to come up with the solution, right? We try to, we try to help God out or we try to make excuses. We, we've got to be able to face the reality of life. And sometimes it's not pretty and I don't like the way it looks but we have to trust God to do what we can't do. Instead of giving up on God, you have to be able to trust that God will do ultimately what he said. Now others came along and was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. That was a real David, a real Nathan, who gave him a real prophecy. And we believe that that real prophecy was about a real person who would be born and of the house of David, and will rule and reign literally. And, and you can't blame those people for doing that because their argument is, I'm going to go with what scripture says, not with what I see. Because if you go with what you see, they sounded like crazy people. And remember, many of the... what I know people will argue, well, that was not the view of the early church. Fine. Argue it wasn't the view of the early church. Still, these individuals came before 1948, right? Dispensationalism rose before 1948. People want to say, well, it wasn't around in the early church. I can understand why it wasn't in the early church. Because they looked around and did what? Well, the only thing I see is us. (laughs) Right? And they already had a, hermeneutic, a hermeneutical system in place to allow for it, which was the allegorical method, right? So they already had the right hermeneutical method and they, and they had necessity to, to say, they, they, but they were still trying to defend God's word. I don't blame them, but I just think that what, if, if, that's, if we look at it from that way, we lose the real power here. The power here is that God is, Kept his promise. A literal baby was born from the literal line of David of a literal virgin. And that baby is the son of God and the son of David. And he's going to literally rule and reign. Now you can say, and you can say, well, that, what about now? Well, we do believe he's ruling and reigning now over a spiritual kingdom. There's no question about that. But we still believe there's more to come. Let's look at some, let's look more here. Oh, there! I want to read uh, so much here about everything. Um, uh, yeah, well, little, yeah, let's just, let's just jump down here, all right? So then it talks about Elizabeth, right? Okay, um, and then the baby jumps. And then, then we have the famous Magnificat, right? Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of the handmaiden. For he, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Now, it's all about her right there. Great, wonderful. We could have all kinds of discussions about it. But notice what she starts doing in the next verse. For he, who's the he? God. That is mighty, hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. She's still referring to him, but now she's going to talk about what God is doing. God is the one instigating. And now look what he says. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation from gen- to generation. Then look at this. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud and their imagination of their hearts. Now, okay, wait a minute. Exactly. Now this is where we could spend, we don't have time because we're, gonna, we're running out of time quickly. How did he do this? How did he scatter the proud in their imaginations? How? Okay. Well, he's fulfilled his promise, even though it looked like it would have been impossible or never going to occur. And he fulfilled it in a way that is mind-boggling even to us today, right? A little baby born in a manger of a virgin? That's ridiculous stuff, Right? And in the next part, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He's pulled down the mighty. The mighty may be the people who are like, this, nothing's going to happen, but he exalts the lowly. The lowly whom? Well, a lowly family, Joseph and Mary, who were off in Bethlehem, who couldn't even find room in the inn, and they were there to pay their taxes, right? And this little baby obviously is exalted because he's literally the eternal son of God. All right. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. For he hath hoping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Once again, it goes back to Israel, does it not? Now, I, there's there's much more I want, I want I want to talk about there's much more, I, but we we don't have time to go through everything. There's so much here to discuss. Um, we could talk about what um, Zacharias says after he's filled with the Holy Spirit in verse sixty-seven, right? Okay, remember he had been silent, right? And then, uh, and then, look what happens. He says, "What manner of child shall this be?" And the hand of the Lord was with him, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, referring to John the Baptist. Right? He prof- And what did he prophesy? Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. You see all of Second Samuel coming all the play here. Right, And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he had been since the word world began. Oh, wait, there's the prophets, which is mentioned in Romans. See the connection? Yeah. Then we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father. Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Didn't Samuel promise that same thing? And holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, here's what I want us to just take away from this, all right? I I mean I didn't write out like specific lessons even though I want to I think there's enough there for you to just take it back but I'm just going to go back to my first statement that I made if you want to write anything down I want you to write this down a life of faith isn't lived out in a perfect world it's lived out in the midst of brokenness pain, sin, failure, hurt and all the tribulations of life and that's what we see here if you had faith and you walked through from the time that prophecy was... Go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. But if you go from the covenants and the promises, and you walked through life, like if you were just there walking through life, right? You're never going to die. You're going to stay, you know, 25, and you just walk through it and walk through it. Would it not be crazy to witness year after year, century after century, all of the things that are happening? Where what would you... where Your faith would look like you're believing in something that what? is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, at some point you look at it and it looks about as ridiculous as a virgin and an old woman who's barren having a child. And God let two of them have a child, right? Two. A virgin and the barren woman. Which I think kind of fits, again, Son of God, deity, son of David, humanity, right? Because Elizabeth, they're human. Mary brings forth deity, right, okay, so in a sense, all of it is a beautiful picture, if you'll just think about it and put it together, it's a beautiful picture, but I want you to see that to live without faith, it looks, you're living it out, and it doesn't always make sense, and it it doesn't mean that it's going to make your circumstances immediately better, we always think faith is going to fix all of our circumstances, it doesn't work that way, faith is belief that God will ultimately work out everything, When he wants to. How he wants to. And if you think about it, even if you look at some of those promises made to Israel, they still don't have them. They still don't. And many want to rob those promises from them because faith says it makes no sense, right? So we take them and we're we're going to claim, hey, Israel, we, we got them over here. Sorry, guys. Sorry. You suffer and die. We got all your promises. Well, I think it's just messed up that we do that. But to me, we do that because faith, are, we can't see the reality. Now, the problem is God's solution is not always in our time. Look, it, it makes about as much sense to me. Look, it, it, the whole Israel situation is a great picture of another reality, right? When I became a Christian, we think, and now we, this is the way we preach it. This is the way we teach it. That when you become a Christian, then dun, 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 uh, you become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Well, anyone who's been a Christian for five minutes immediately knows that is not true practically. Because if you became a new creature and the old was gone and all is new, what would be gone? Sinful nature. Do you still have a sinful nature? Well, if you don't have a sinful nature, why do you keep sinning? So hopefully you have a sinful nature or you've got really no excuse, Right? Now, you could argue like some do who talk about the eradication of the old nature. You're sinning just because of muscle memory. Okay, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm sinning because I've got a sinful nature. Now, but on one hand, I am a new creature, and the old is gone. Positionally, when will I practically become a new creature and the old will be gone? And glorification... By faith, I see what I am in Christ, but I acknowledge what I am in reality. That's, thought, that, that's faith. Faith is walking through life, and it doesn't make any sense. So when we look at all of these promises, and, and did you notice all of the readings, almost all the readings, Israel, 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 Israel. Did you notice that? It was mentioned multiple times. Jacob, Israel, Israel. It's Israel-centric. I know the minute I say it's Israel-centric, Reform people right now are burning their Bibles and they're screaming and they're losing their minds. No, it's church-centric. It's Christ-centric. I'm sorry, it's Israel-centric. And that's the way the text reads. But I don't have a problem with that because God made a promise to them and he will keep it. That's good news to me because that shows me that even though when my eyes can't perceive it, Faith has to cling to it. And just when I look at Israel going, man, what a mess. I look at me and I'm like, what a mess. And as they're waiting for their king to make everything right, I'm waiting for my king to make everything right. They need a national salvation and to be put back in the land and to receive the promises. And I need a glorification and I need to be put in a different land, right? Heaven, right? So in a roundabout way, it's the same. We're both waiting for something that we currently don't see. We currently don't see it. And we want faith to come and fix everything right now, but that's not the way it's ever worked. God made promises to Abraham. Did it immediately make everything work? No, it did not. Never even saw it. Moses, he got to see it, didn't get to enter into it. It's been war, failure, failure, war, pain, suffering. That's, the life is filled with that. So somehow during Christmas, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ knowing that one, he came to fulfill the promises to Israel and that in him, we have all these promises that we will have a, a new heaven, there'll be a new earth, there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin. And guess how we have to walk then? By faith, because if we look by sight, we're gonna give up. Because guess what we see when we look by sight? We see impossibility. We see a virgin and we see a barren woman. But God can do the impossible. Now we think that means he's going to do the impossible to fix our problems now. but That doesn't seem to be the way it's going to work, is it? All right, I'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, some powerful passages dealing with promises and covenants that we sometimes understand, sometimes we do not. I pray we will meditate much on this, on this Christmas Eve and to Christmas Day. And we thank you for the birth of Christ and for what Christ has come to do to save sinners. And we are grateful for that. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said,